The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning is from Revelation 3, 14 through 19. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the word of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich in white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and self to anoint your eyes, so you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove in discipline, so be zealous and repent. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. My name is Garrison. I'm on our leadership team. Good to be with you. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Revelation chapter 3. This is our second and final week of our mini-series that we're calling What's Killing Me? We want to take a look at two specific issues for two weeks that we think are pretty prevalent in our church. And these two things tend to stifle our love for Jesus and also stifle our ability to live as the people of God. We started last week by looking at anxiety, and this week we're going to shift to looking at apathy. Uh, Our definition for apathy this morning is not caring about the things that God created you to care about. Apathy is not caring about the things God created you to care about. The foundation for this series, we came out of 1 Thessalonians 5.14, where Paul writes to this church, he says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So there's this idea that different people need different things. So we started last week by looking at the faint-hearted, the anxious, and that they need encouragement. But Paul says specifically that the idle, the apathetic, they need admonishment or warning or rebuke. So up front, that's what we're going for this morning. That's the tone of this sermon is one of admonishment, warning, or rebuke. And that's intentional. That's because apathy is dangerous. Apathy kills us. It sucks the life out of us. It leads us away from the fullness of life that Christ offers us. We completely lose sight of what actually matters. Instead, we trade in this life that Christ offers us for an apathetic, disinterested disposition. Uh, When asked what the single most important aspect of our lives were to God, Jesus responded in Matthew 22 and Mark 13 by saying the most important thing, the foundation of God's law, what you were designed for is to love God and love people. That's what your soul was designed for. That's your purpose, to love God and love people. With both of those things, you should notice that they're active commands, that he's saying you have to do something. You can't obey either of these commands by never doing anything. And that tends to sound fairly obvious, but the problem is that we, we get this wrong all the time, especially in the Bible Belt. We define Christianity as, uh, I'm a Christian because I don't do certain things. That's how we define it all the time, which is ridiculous when you think about it, but we tend to miss it. So I just want to give a different example to frame that line of thinking in a different way that seems a little more obvious 
So if I were to ask you, hypothetically, what, what superhero are you most like? And you said, um, you said Spider-Man. And I said, okay, why are you like Spider-Man? You said, well, I can't fly and I have no healing powers and, you know, I don't have claws that come out of my hands and I'm not an, part of the X-Men. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm Spider-Man. It'd be like, what are you talking about? Why are you, you didn't say why you were Spider-Man. You just said why you weren't, but this doesn't work. I feel dumber having listened to you. It's funny, but we do the same thing with Christianity. We've reduced Christianity to a moralistic exclusion of certain bad habits. Now, don't get me wrong. Part of being a Christian is certainly saying no to sin, to things that are wrong. But there's a whole lot of do's when it comes to being a Christian. And when we get that wrong, apathy starts to run rampant and we don't even see it. But apathy is everywhere. Now, there are some pretty obvious ways that apathy shows up. I think if you start to think about, uh, imagine an apathetic person. There's a couple people that come to mind. The college student that only wants to play Call of Duty Warzone for hours every day. The deadbeat dad who shows up and is never emotionally available to his kids or family. But there's other ways that apathy shows up. It can be much sneakier than the obvious images that we have. So you can have the workaholic who never engages with his family either because he's too busy, never has time for God because his schedule is jam-packed. That's apathy. The perfectionist that steamrolls everyone around them, that never has time to really ask, hey, how are you doing? That's also apathy. The really nice, polite Christian man or woman who never confesses their sin, who never repents because why, why would they? They don't do any of the big bad sins except for lying, except for being prayerless. But that's not that big of a deal. That's also apathy. And apathy lives in our church. Apathy lives in your community group. You may miss it or you may not even call it that. But imagine the scenario that I think happens pretty often where somebody in your group, you're sitting there during Engage the Heart, and somebody really opens up. They say, you know, I'm really going through this. I'm struggling in this way. And they end, it's just dead quiet. And everybody else in the group starts kind of looking around, start looking down. Somebody chimes in, oh, thank you for sharing. No one says anything. And then finally your group leader hops in to save everybody by saying the thing that needs to be said, but you didn't want to hop in. That's also apathy. How about when somebody in your life sins against you or another person, or they're just living in habitual sin, but you don't say anything to them, but you resent them and judge them, talk to other people about it, but you don't talk to them. That's also apathy. It's everywhere. When you're afraid to invite your coworker or neighbor to a gathering or talk to them about Jesus and why you live the way you live, it's apathy. The person in your group that's been confessing the same sin over and over again or never does spiritual disciplines because they don't have enough time, apathy. When somebody wants help moving and you see that message, you're like, no, I'm, I'm really, I got something going on that day. The couch. That's also apathy. It's everywhere and we tend to ignore it or not see it. There's actually even bigger problem that comes with apathy. It's what we call the apathy trap. It goes when you, when you start to finally notice your apathy, 
that's when it really starts to sink its teeth into you. It turns into this sort of self-defeating cycle that goes something like this. Okay, I get it. You're telling me to care. You're telling me what the right things are. But the problem is that I don't care that I don't care about those things. I know that I'm off, but I don't care. That's the apathy trap. What am I supposed to do? I don't care that I don't care. I feel like I'm a victim of my own apathy. I can't do anything about this. I'm stuck. Apathy is everywhere. And it's in our church. We tend to miss it. We tend to laugh it off. We tend to say things like, oh, yeah, I was so lazy last weekend. Should have been Sabbathing, but instead I watched Netflix all day. Ha. Or we tend to just categorize people by their lazy personality or whatever, but it's everywhere. It's killing us. It's sucking the life out of our relationships with Jesus, with one another. And it's crushing our ability to serve one another, love one another, and obey the God of the universe. But the good news for us is that Jesus actually speaks directly to a church in Revelation 3 that's going through the same type of struggle that I'm seeing with us. And I think what he says to them is going to be really helpful for us. So if you got a Bible... You can open it up to Revelation chapter 3 if you haven't already. We'll be starting in verse 14. And reads this. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So what's happening here is in Revelation 1 through 3, Jesus is writing letters to these seven churches in these seven ancient cities through the apostle John, and he's giving them some encouragement and direction. So for the first six churches, it kind of goes something like this. Hey, this is what you're doing well, but here's how I need to help you. Here's how you need to repent. And then he gets to this church in Laodicea, and it's quite different. It's unique because there's nothing good in it. He doesn't affirm anything. He just comes out the gate swinging. He says, I know your works. You're lukewarm. You're not cold or hot. I want to spit you out of my mouth. Now, if you've heard this passage taught before, it often gets taught as cold means, means someone disinterested in Jesus and hot means someone passionate, on fire, a Jesus freak, so to speak. And Jesus says he dis, he's disgusted by lukewarm, which means Jesus would rather you be cold or hot, but that's not quite what Jesus is saying here. You need to see the context for this church in Laodicea. So Laodicea as a city was this huge, thriving city that was perched up on this plain on top of a hill. It was incredibly prosperous. It was really wealthy. Ex excavations have shown that there were houses upwards of 5,000 square feet, which is pretty ridiculous even today. It's huge for that time. Laodicea had two massive amphitheaters that held 10 to 12,000 people. Even the wealthiest cities at that time usually only had one. Two was unheard of. A lot, also, a lot of these homes had running water, which in ancient times, that was also unheard of. But this is also where the problem came in for Laodicea. Because it was perched up on this plain, it didn't have access to its own source of running water. 
So it had to get it from these two nearby cities. And one of these cities was by uh, this uh, hot spring where they got this water that was filled with minerals. It was good for its healing properties, its cleansing, and its washing. It was hot water. And then this other city was nearby snow runoff from the mountains in this river. This water was refreshing. It was good for drinking. So this is where they would try to get their water from. But, but the problem was by the time it got to Laodicea, it wasn't cold or hot anymore. It was lukewarm. The analogy that you could think of is uh, if you ever bought a, a soda or a coffee and you just left it in your car for a day or two, and then you get back in, you kind of want to do that curiosity sip, right? Where it's like, I'm kind of thirsty right now. It's there. So let me take a sip. And it's obviously disgusting. That's what Jesus is kind of saying here, that your sun-baked, cooled-down, plastic-infused soda that's just, ugh, just disgusting. Your apathy is gross. I want to spit you out on the ground. He's not saying I want you to be this passionate Jesus freak. He's, not, he's definitely not saying I want you to not be a Christian. What he's saying here is that I didn't save you around, save you for you to sit around and do Nothing. Your life and your soul are intended to, for something useful, but you're not. You're not cold. You don't feel refreshing for people. You don't, you're not hot. You're not warm and comforting. You're not useful for cleaning or washing or healing. You're useless. This is actually an important distinction for us because apathy isn't just an emotional problem. Apathy is a total disconnect from your purpose. You don't care about the right things, which means you've lost your bearing on who God is and what he's done in your life and what he means to do in your life. You're not useful or fruitful. Apathy is a loss of vision of who God is and what he intends for your life. What Jesus does next is he goes on to even say where their apathy comes from. Look back at verse 17. It says, for you say, I'm rich. I've prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So remember that Laodicea is this super rich city. And what Jesus is doing here is he's getting really personal. Because Laodicea's wealth came from two places. It came from their cloth trade, and it came from their famous medical school, where they had an eye doctor who was almost a living legend for his eye salve that had healing properties for the blind. And what Jesus is saying here is your clothes are worthless, and your eye salve, you actually need to get that from me. Laodicea took pride in all of these things, and Jesus is saying they're worthless. The things that you pride yourself in are actually where your problem is coming from. Apathy blinds us to the truth of our spiritual condition. And so what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to help them to see. He's exposing where their apathy comes from, which we need to do the same thing. There's a couple of different places that apathy comes from. So for the Laodiceans and for us, a lot of times it comes from our own wealth or comfort. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that you have to be super rich. I'm talking about wealth by the world's standards, which means if you didn't worry about where your food and meals were coming from this week, you're actually pretty well off. And what tends to happen is you think, well, yeah, I know what Jesus is calling me to do, but 
I'm fine. I don't really have any needs. Laodicea was actually so well off that there was a massive earthquake there in AD 60, and they denied resources and help from the, uh, from the Roman Empire because they said, nah, we're good. But that's where their apathy comes from. That's where our apathy comes from too. We just think we're fine. We're good. I got the bills paid for. I got, I got, uh, I got food. I'm fine. And we become apathetic because we don't see our need for God anymore. We got everything taken care of and we become self-reliant and apathetic. Our wealth and our comfort leads us to apathy. But also can come from a few other places. It can come from distraction and noise. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But the amount of time that we spend watching TV, playing video games, on our phone, on social media, listening to, to noise, the accumulative impact of that on us makes us just passive and lazy. Because what we're doing when we're watching, when we're looking, when we're listening, what we're doing with our bodies is nothing. And we're enjoying it so much that we're crafting and cultivating this love and desire for doing nothing. And this is a key part of the apathy trap. We have to know that the things we do, do things to us. The things that you do, do things to you. Everything that you do has an effect on you. You're not becoming a lazy, apathetic person by accident. We train ourselves to get there. And then similarly, the things that we don't do also do things to us. If you aren't spending time with Jesus, building with non-believers, sharing the gospel with people in group time when they're struggling, you're not just going to wake up one day being able to do those things. I heard a pastor say it like this. He said, it's foolish arrogance that makes us think that we can wake up in 10 years more spiritually mature than we are now and yet do none of the things the Bible prescribes us to get there. You're not going to wake up as a faithful follower of Jesus who's missional, who's connected to God, who people in our church want to hear from when they're going through something. If you're never trying, if you're not doing anything to get there now, the things you do do things to you and the things you don't do do things to you. A third place our apathy comes from is that we're just straight up not a Christian. I know that sounds harsh, but this warning that Jesus is giving here, where he says, I, I'll spit you out, we should really feel the weight of that. Our apathy reveals the state of our heart, and it reveals that the state of our heart, that our allegiance may not actually lie with Jesus. If you have a deep-seated apathy that's been there for months or years and the lack of care for anything to do with God may reveal that you're not actually a Christian. You need to do some soul searching. Uh, it's just like we talked about in first John over the summer. We know that we love God. If we do what? If we obey, if we follow his commands. We should feel the weight of Jesus's words here that he's going to spit them out, that he wants nothing to do with them. Fourth place that apathy comes from is hopelessness. I see this as a really prevalent place that apathy comes from is hopelessness. Maybe it's hurt, woundedness, disappointment. Some of us just really struggle with apathy because we just feel like we're failures. We just feel like we tried and nothing happened. Like what's the point in trying anymore if I'm just gonna, if I'm just gonna fail again? 
Maybe it's a habitual sin or addiction that you've just been trying to fight for years and it just feels completely hopeless. Like there's just not a world where you could imagine your life free from things like porn and lust and masturbation. It's not a world where you could imagine your life free from rage and anger. Body image and shame, body image issues or shame, there's no way that I could imagine my life being free from that. I just feel so controlled by it. It's been a struggle for years. Anxiety, depression, there's no way. And what happens is I don't care. Our apathy becomes easier to say than I'm scared to try again. I just don't want to try again because we're afraid. Because I don't know what else to do. And I just feel like God's so tired of me. And my community, I can't keep talking about this with them. Because they're sick of me too. Uh, I've really been there. I really see apathy in my life because of hopelessness. Um, my life was completely uh, ruled by my sexual sin for over a decade, up until late college. And most men in my life, most men in my family, they were going through the same thing. Most men for generations past are completely ruled by their sexual sin too. Every marriage except for one going back three generations in my family ended in divorce. And most of it was because of sexual sin. And what happens is when I struggle, when I feel like I'm regressing, the hopeless thought comes in that you're going to be just like them. You're not going to be any different. There's no point in you trying. Apathy just latches onto my struggles. And I start to believe there's, there's no point in this. I'm just like them. God doesn't care anymore. He's sick of it. And I'm embarrassed to tell my community because I've been saying it for years. The truth for me and the truth for all of us is that if you're a Christian, when God looks at you, He sees Jesus' perfect record. He's not disappointed and frustrated at you. You're totally and unconditionally loved. He doesn't look at you with a frown on His face. The picture of God that we have for those of us in Christ is the one from Luke 15 of the father running out to his kid with joy. And that is why we have hope. That's what gives us hope in our hopelessness. That's why we fight our apathy time and time again. Because the same God who saved you will also keep you. He will help you fight. And he provides to us a solution for our apathy. Let me show it to you. Look back at verse 19. Revelation 3, 19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Jesus' answer for us, for what we do with our apathy, is to first remember. Remember who God is. Remember that He loves you. Remember that God loves us. It says those whom He loves, He reproves and disciplines. So we remember we remember He loves us, and sometimes that hurts. Sometimes that's hard. And in response to God's love, that's when we repent. That's when we fight to be zealous. Now, if you're like me, this is probably the time where your apathy walls start to go back up, right? Where we're like, no, I'm in the middle of the apathy trap. All you just said, that's great. That's real nice. But remember, I don't care. I don't care that I don't care either. So a nice pat on the back really doesn't matter for me. That's my problem. 
I can't do anything about it because I'm stuck. My emotions, my feelings, I, my mood, I can't do anything about this. Thanks a lot, Jesus. Very helpful. Could you do anything else? Could you actually help me? Jesus is helping you. He is helping us, but we actually have to dig up some of the roots that are under the way we think about the apathy trap. There's a line of thinking that has become streamlined in our culture, and it actually gets streamlined because of our obsession with things like personality typings, but it goes something like this. I am the way I am, and there's nothing really that can change that. My struggles are my struggles. My feelings are my feelings, and nothing's really going to change that. I'm going to be this way. I've been this way. And it can be subtle. Sometimes you don't even think that way, but it's there. And what this is called is it's called biological determinism. The fact that you can't do anything to change yourself. How you feel is how you feel. And you're an absolute slave to your desires and to your feelings. This is a specific place where the gospel is incredible news for us. Let me show it to you. Look at 1 Peter 1.18. Read with me. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The word redeemed right here in this text is huge for us. In Jesus, we have redemption. Uh, Redemption is this massive theological concept where we're actually getting this image of a slave that's being purchased out of slavery and then given a total new life. And we don't tend to think about apathy this way, but that's exactly what it is. It's slavery to your emotions and your feelings. And what Jesus is saying here is lovingly, you're not a slave to that anymore. You're not a slave to your emotions. I've bought you out of that. You no longer need to be a slave to your whims and your desires. You don't have to be controlled by them because I've redeemed you. That is why you can repent. And what does Peter say we've been specifically redeemed from? We've been redeemed from our empty way of life, a life filled and with, with nothingness, a vo- life uh, void of purpose. And we've, redeemed to some, we've been redeemed to something new, a life full of purpose. Jesus has paid the price so that this could be a reality in your life, so that he could set you free from your apathy. There's actually another place I want to show you where this is highlighted really beautifully. Titus 2.11. Titus 2.11, it says this, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So there's this idea that the grace of God, Jesus has appeared for us, that he's lived the life that we never could. He died the death that we deserve. He's given us salvation based off of nothing that we've done. This is the grace of God that's appeared. And what is it doing? Verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. So God's grace does in fact train us to not do some things and keep going and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. It also is training us to do some things, to live godly lives, lives that look like Jesus. What's beautiful about this is God is the one doing it in you. He's helping you. He's appeared to save you and to help you and to train you 
Finish out in verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us and to purify us and to train us to be zealous for good works. You were bought with a price. So repentance is actually always available to you. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you don't see it in your life, it is if you are in Christ because you're not a slave to your whims and desires anymore. You're a slave to Jesus. He's purchased you. He's made you his. You are free. You are free. You are free to repent and be zealous for the things of God. There's a really important distinction that's worth making as we talk about this. Being zealous is not about your feelings. It is not about your emotions. Being zealous is about choices. It's about obedience. It's about your actions. And that is great news. That is great news for us. It's huge because it means there's no qualifiers. These verses, there's no asterisks beside them. It says, yeah, unless unless you struggle with social anxiety or depression or clinical anxiety or lust or shame or resentment, then you can't enter into this blessed hope. No, that's not said. It's open to anyone in Christ. You are being trained to renounce ungodliness. It extends to all people by his grace through his spirit. That's how we repent. That's how we're transformed. We remember his love for us and then we respond and then we repent. As we end, I got three steps that we can take as a church to repent from our apathy. And I want to go through them kind of fast. Three practical steps. The first one, pray and obey. It rhymes, so you know it's a good one. Pray and obey. So hypothetical situation this week. Kind of brought it up at the beginning. Well, let's say this week you're sitting in group and somebody says, I really need help with blank. I'm having a bad week. I'm struggling with this sin. I really need help moving. I really need help. Uh, I need somebody to come help with my, with my kids this week so I can get some time with God. And your gut reaction or your group's gut reaction is kind of start sh- doing shifty eyed things again where you're looking down, you're thinking, oh, please, somebody else step up to the plate. In that moment, pray and obey. The answer is that you repent by both talking to God and doing something about it in that moment. So you need to be honest right there in that moment with God. You need to say, God, there's something off with me. There is. This this desire that I have to not help, that's off. And I need you to help me right now. I need you to use my obedience in this moment to change my heart. That is a beautiful prayer. And then you respond to the opportunity. You say, hey, I'm willing. And honestly, I need to be, I need to be real with everybody right now. I don't want to help. And I need help with that. Please. To be honest, people notice your apathy. People do. They're very nice. So they may not shame you for it. Some of us this week just need to apologize to our groups. We do. We've been flaky. We've had an excuse for not showing up to group for like three weeks this month. 
or we haven't said anything. You're always the quiet person in, in confession time. You just need to apologize to a group. We need to say, hey, I've been apathetic. I haven't prioritized this because what's actually happening is we're not caring about loving our brothers and sisters. So we say, hey, I need to repent. I've been checked out. There's nothing shameful about that. Just be honest about it. You need to own it though and repent. Uh, some of us this week need to stop being uh, sermon connoisseurs, sitting back and kind of, hmm, I really liked that part of the sermon. Really liked the Spider-Man joke. That was pretty nice. But I didn't like that. Instead of being a sermon connoisseur, you need to be a repentant Christian this week. You need to respond to God's word being opened and us talking about apathy by repenting of your apathy, not by critiquing how we talked about it. Our wirings and our emotions, they don't override the commands of Scripture. Some of us just need to start trying this week. We need to do something. We need to pray and obey. Second, is to practice the spiritual disciplines. All these things that we just did the whole series about for two months, start doing them. The ones that you didn't try, try them. Get disciplined in these practices. And I think you're going to see how discipline translates to the rest of your life. Our apathy, it comes from a disconnect from our purpose. Our purpose stems from our relationship with God. So obviously we need to be spending time with Him. We need to be connected to Him. I would say start small. Start with 15 minutes in the morning. Open up your Bible. 15 minutes at night. Start small. If you're already at 15, go to 30. If you're at 30, go to 45. Keep putting weight on. The things you do, do things to you. What are you praying for? Go to God with it. Pray what you got. Who are the people in your life that you're praying for? You need to talk to God about that this week. You need to talk to your community about that this week. Let's start praying for one person. Are you apathetic about the things of God? Fast. Try fasting. Are you worn down? Sabbath. If your response during our series on spiritual disciplines was a pretty constant stream of, yeah, tried it, wasn't that helpful. That's actually revealing your apathy. And let's repent this week by doing it, by trying it again. And third and last thing is to make a plan. Make a plan. We talked about this with rule of life during our discipline series, but we need to have a plan for how we're going to connect with God, how we're going to care for the people around us, how we're going to follow Jesus so in the next month, you need to make a plan for mission in your life. Who are you going to have over for dinner this week? Who are you going to have over for dinner this month? Which coworker, which friend, which family member that you probably don't even like, but you need to respond in obedience by asking somebody to come over for dinner. No excuses. Not that your house is dirty. Clean it up or don't. It doesn't matter. This is about your heart. Put it on your calendar. Not trying to hear excuses about why you can't. Put it on your calendar. Make a plan. I don't care which one you pick. Do all three of them. But let's start to go to war on our apathy. Not because God's going to be mad at us if we don't, but because we can. Because He's purchased our freedom with His blood. God designed us to live as His people. Live lives of love for Him and love for others. And he's made repentance possible. You're not a slave anymore. It's possible because of Jesus. And he's training you. 
His power is at work in your life and in our community. He's done everything necessary for you to be able to live this life. For the rest of your life, your emotions, your mood, it's going to be changing. If you're controlled by your mood, you're going to always be flaky. You're going to always be apathetic, unreliable, and generally difficult to be around. But Jesus wants something different for you. Our community will be beautiful if we were full of people that were fighting their apathy, putting it to death. Jesus paid the ultimate price to purchase you back from your slavery so we could get to be with Him for eternity, so that we could love Him and love one another, both now and for eternity. Let's pray. God, thank You for the gift of of redemption. Jesus, You poured out Your precious blood for us to rescue us from our old, empty way of life. That is so good. Thank You for that, God. Help us to to respond. Help us to live in light of our purchased freedom by being zealous for good works, by running after you, by loving you and loving other people. Show us how to do that. Change our hearts, God. We are apathetic. We need you to transform us. Please move in our midst. Be with us this week in your name. Amen.